Good morning, listeners. This is Citizen U, a forum for where we explore issues and meet people in order to help you make a difference here in Mendocino County. I am your first Wednesday of the month host, Dan Jurdy, a county supervisor. Ukiah City Council member Mari Roden is your host of Citizen U on the third Wednesdays. Today we talk with two community members who are taking long-term action to advance the well-being of our communities by working with Community Foundation of Mendocino County. Megan Alande and Roger Foote. Megan is the Chief Executive Officer of the Community Foundation, where she helps community members to keep local dollars here in our local communities, facilitate the awarding of grants and scholarships that make a meaningful difference, and supports the kind of leadership and long-range planning that our local nonprofits need to be successful. Roger, a Mendocino County native and retired biologist, set out with his wife to financially support a priority dear to their hearts, in this case, environmental education and conservation, and achieved this through a special environmental fund they give to at the Community Foundation. Megan, Roger, thank you for what you do, and thank you for being with us here on Citizen U. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for having us. Okay, great. Um, Megan, um, in looking at the scope of work of the Community Foundation, I mean, wow, it's it's really grown, grown over the last 29 years. Uh, today, the Community Foundation has 152 different funds. Um, why do people choose to work with the Community Foundation? Well, people come to us for lots of different reasons. I think um, one of the more common reasons is um, in their planned giving. Um, they're considering sort of what their legacy is, and especially those that don't have children. It's kind of a challenge to figure out how, how they work things through at the end of their lives. And so for a lot of people, that's one of the reasons they come our way. Um, more recently, folks have really engaged with us around a number of different disasters. And that's newer work for us and, and you know, been a wonderful way to make a difference um, here and now. Um, with everybody kind of collectively giving what they can, that's allowed us to make a really big impact after, I think now six fires and a two-year pandemic. Uh, so between those two reasons are the primary reasons. Um, we have other folks that come, you know, they might be in a position where they've retired and they have some compensation they need to work through, or maybe um, they've gotten inheritance and they want to make a difference, but they don't quite know how, they may set up a donor advised fund with us. So that's another vehicle that's more current giving for the here and now. The first reason that Megan gave is certainly how Holly Brackman, my wife and I came to the Community Foundation. The Community Foundation really was a great solution and a relief for us to learn about and, and to work with them because we had been trying to establish a, a, uh, a long-term plan for our, our um, estate. And we ended up talking to the Community Foundation and we're relieved to see that, oh, this resolves a lot of the questions and issues we have. And it's been a, a really great partnership. Thank you, Megan. Great. And um, sort of overall, uh, we said there's 152 different funds. Um, so you have 10 different community endowment funds. Um, kind of, can you give us kind of the scope of the types of projects and, and funds that are established through the Community Foundation? Absolutely. So there's actually one community endowment fund, but there's some 
some named sub funds in there, but it's one large treasure chest for this county. I think it's, it's one of our greatest accomplishments um, and one of our most early projects was uh, we got some money from you know, outside funders to sort of spearhead um, a community endowment, meaning that these funds are undesignated and we're allowed to respond to pressing community needs. And we have quite an elaborate way that we do that. We have uh, over 35 volunteers throughout the county that help us on an annual basis figure out what the most pressing needs are in all seven of the regions of the county. Um, and interesting enough, I think it predates you, Dan, that the Board of Supervisors even directed some funding from the tobacco settlement dollars that is at the Community Foundation that, again, we use in that grant program um, to really focus on community health um, and do extraordinary, wonderful projects all over the county. So that's an example of how we have sort of one fund, but there's sometimes funds that are connected to it and or are in the same um, genre of funds. Um, as I said, there's also those donor advised funds when a donor directs the grant making. Um, and then we have things called field of interest. And that's what um, Holly and Rogers funds that fit in that category. And those are areas of interest. And what I love about them is that they allow for collective giving so that folks who all share a similar interest, if it's the arts or the environment or developmental disabilities, or, I mean, they run the gamut. I've, I've been known to say we've covered everything. And then somebody comes back to me and said, but what about? <laughs> so we're not maybe quite there, but we're getting close. So we have almost every field of interest covered. We just got a new one this month, which was vocational education fund. Um, so as I said, there's always something new in an area that we need to um, address in our county. And so that's what they allow us to do. And, and they're really helpful because folks can work together. And then lastly, we have our scholarship funds. We have 39 of them now. Um, and those, I mean, again, I'll say they almost cover the gamut. I think we have something for every kind of student. <laughs> um, so I think I have one that I'm still looking for is more like a visual arts. We've got the performing arts. We haven't quite got the visual arts yet, but you know, we really have tried to make sure that all kinds of students can engage with the community foundation. And more importantly, at a county level, that we can build the next generation workforce through our various scholarship funds. Okay. And, and Rogers, um, the education, uh, environmental education and conservation fund, you, how would you characterize that fund um, in relation to others? Well, I don't know all the other funds. Megan's the expert there, but uh, a colleague of mine and I, Chuck Vaughn, uh, pursued this, and we came up with uh, some wording because we had very broad intentions in the area of environmental environment and conservation, and we we set up some bullet points, and I'll briefly mention them. Uh, to, we want to give grants to programs that further ecological understanding, natural resource management, the importance of scientific method, human role in climate change, land stewardship, best practices, habitat and watershed rest restoration, improving public access to natural lands. So those were our very broad bullet points to describe our wishes for, for the fund. And since Chuck and I got this started, we've had 
oh, I don't know how many people now. There have been several very generous people and many others who have given. And we're very grateful for that and excited that the fund has been growing. So when a fund is established like this and people see it on the website for the community foundation and they say, well, we have a, I have, our group has a, our nonprofit has a, a project that seems to fit in alignment with this um, fund. I guess they contact the community foundation. So what would be the steps that they take? So, yeah, so that's a great question. Kind of how, how does the process go? And I remember that's when you invited me, that's what you wanted us to try to help folks understand. So you start with someone like Roger and Chuck who have the vision. And, um, and they are both so well um, seeped in the field that they actually probably went further than most donors do because most donors have the passion, but they may not know all the organizations. They may not know all the parts of the puzzle. And, um, and so that's sort of the first job of the community foundation. Um, so for instance, a new one is we will be doing some work in animal welfare. And so now we have to do, we have to design a grant program. We have to figure out who's the part, who, who's all in that space and, you know, what are their capabilities and what kind of support would they need to do such and such projects? So we do a lot of backend research. We, as I will say, the team is, we're all generalists and we're always learning new things because our donors bring really interesting topics to us. And so we kind of get the picture designed. Then we will go out in a grant program and we will have a set of guidelines that say, this is what we're funding. These are the kinds of projects. And then if it's happened before, this is who we've funded in the past. So that if you are a grant seeker, you're like, oh, I know Mendo Parks. That's okay. That's what they did. And it kind of helps them know if it might be a fit, because that's always the challenge. Is the project a fit? And then we will then design an application and the grantee will, grant seeker will come in, they'll do an application, they'll provide some information about the project, they'll provide, um, you know, sometimes if it's like equipment, they might show us the specs on the equipment. Um, more importantly, they talk about what impact they plan to make. And so we get all that information and then we use a series of volunteer reviewers, like I mentioned for our community endowment fund, we have the same set of people, different people, for our field of interest funds. And again, they're getting to be so many of them now, I can't probably give you the full number, but you know, it's at least three to five people for every one. So, you know, it adds up. And, um, and those folks, we have a subject matter expert and we have a staff person who understands, you know, the art and science of grant making. And we usually have a board member or somebody who's honoring donor intent and they wrestle with reviewing them and doing site visits and talking to the nonprofits. And then they make a recommendation to the board of directors who make the final decisions on what we fund out of all of our various funds. So it's quite a complex process. And then in this case, I always meet with um, Chuck and, and um, Roger and I say, hey, this is what the committee decided to fund because they use money from the required minimum distributions. They actually can't sit on that committee, but we make sure that they get to hear the wonderful news. And it always makes my day when they are like, oh, that's a great project. You chose well. So, so that's the whole cycle. So it kind of gives you a sense of what it takes for the community foundation to do its work in the community. Well, Megan, that's, that's a very impressive process you have. And, and I think it really emphasizes the service that you do to those of us who are looking to support the community. Because when I think about um, 
if, if we were to do that in a smaller organization that I've been involved with, not even thinking about the financial management, all that process would have been way beyond us. And in fact, there's a local organization that was lucky enough to have a very generous donor and they decided that they would manage the funds. They ended up actually going to you and putting their money with you because you deal with millions of dollars. And, and it's, it's, that's another reason that it's a great resource for the community and for individuals like Chuck and I and many others who have donated. It's, it's really wonderful to, to discover that there are people that have gone down that path before. Thank you. Well, thanks, Roger. I forgot to mention, you're right, that's the other side of the corn, Dan, which is what the money side. <laughs> so do you want me to go into that? You want me to sure. explain? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, so kind of how it works is um, what we call an endowment fund, meaning that Chuck and, and Roger, you know, gave us that money to, to open the fund. And we put that money in the stock market. Um, and then we... We, we grant out a portion of the interest and the capital gains. And so that's a whole other side of the coin. Um, we use a professional um, management company um, out of Cleveland called Fund Evaluation Group. They deal with all the investing side of the coin, but we have a local committee um, of both professionals, um, board members, and retired finance professionals who sit on a committee and oversee the work of this outside provider. So it is still very local in that respect. Um, and then every year they, they decide how much we're gonna pay out of the funds. And the reason for that is our goal is to have Roger and Chuck's gift forever. So we're not spending a little bit each year. We're actually gonna hold that money they gave us and use it forever. And that's the beauty of the community foundation is, and that's why we call it a local treasure chest is these dollars are here. These dollars are here for us forever. And our job at the community foundation is to take really good care of them. And, and for that reason, we're pretty conservative, I will say, um, to kind of make sure we hold on to it and it's that it's here and it will always be here for this county. At, at this point, what's the total for the uh, principal and, and the um, and the retained um, growth in in the, your various funds? You know, right now we've we just made it beyond the fifty million dollar mark, wow. and that's huge for a county this size. And you know, you mentioned we'll have our tw I think we're twenty nine in October. Next year will be thirty. Um, you know, years old. Thirty years old, yes. And what's <laughs> so crazy, and no one, it's amazing to think. In 1993, when the, these really passionate people around the county, Bob Armino was one of them, there were some other lovely, amazing people who said, we need to have a community foundation. They met for like two years, had no money. Their first gift was to buy stationery, like $250 to buy stationery. I mean, that's where we started in this county. We didn't get some big gift from somebody. I mean, it was started from that. And then the former CEO, Suzanne Norgard, and this amazing, like, founding board. I mean, I, I, I will always admire these people. I don't know how they did it, but they, they convinced people to do what Chuck and Roger did. But there wasn't much of a track record, you know. In the beginning, it was really, you know, and it's extraordinary that those folks made, you know, 
gave money in their lifetimes. And a lot of them made plan gifts that are now starting to show up because that's the other thing about plan giving is you never know when it's going to happen. And it could take many, many, many years. But that's some of the, the work we are now experiencing. We are getting some of these significant plan gifts that were started many, many, many years ago and are now coming. But this moment is huge. You kind of go zero to 25, 25 to 50, and then your next horizon is 50 million to 100. And so we just feel so proud of this county that we are now at this moment in time and we can say that. Because remember, we only have like 90,000 people here. So to have amassed a local treasure chest of 50 million, we should all be very proud. Megan, I was thinking of kind of explaining, kind of recapping how we came to the Community Foundation and why Holly and I went to a local lawyer to do some estate planning. And our original idea or vision or hurdle was what happens if we have any money left over in our estate, where should it go? So that was the original challenge. And we came to the community foundation and started talking about that. So we said, well, okay, we would like, if there's any money left over in, uh, on my side to go to an environmental project. And Holly, who is an artist, said a similar thing. And then after a few months, we said, well, maybe we can start a fund now. And that's when Chuck got involved and we started, I started to learn a little bit about financial things. And one of them was, as I was getting older, I had an IRA and I was going to have to um, withdraw from my IRA each year according to the formula that the federal government puts out. And then, so you get this money and you can spend the money, you have to pay taxes on it. Or I learned if you don't need the money, uh, and you take it out, then you can donate it, of course. But if I were to take out $10,000, I would have maybe $7,000 after taxes to give. And somebody pointed out to me, if you have your financial institution send that to a nonprofit, such as the Community Foundation, you can send them all $10,000 or part of that. You could take some of it and you could send the rest to the Community Foundation or some other nonprofit. So that's what Chuck and I, and maybe some other people, I'm not privy to, to that information, have done for the Environmental Education and Conservation Fund. So I don't know if there's an average we can say, but I think we've had fifteen to $25,000 come in. And I know uh, there's one very generous person who donated $30,000 one year, and then other people who donate a hundred or a couple of thousand. So that sort of turned on the Environmental Education and Conservation Fund, created more work for Megan and her staff, because then they had to uh, ask for grants and then give grants, but they didn't have to wait for me to die. In well, I I wanted to just say, Dan, really quickly, what just I forgot to say, when you talk about us having 50 million, the thing is also crazy. To date, we've almost granted out 25 million. And that's the part that's, I think, hardest for people to understand, because I think there's this perception of it's a community treasure chest that is just sitting there doing nothing. Oh, no, we've actually granted out nearly half 
of of what it is and so and some of that's because of all the work we've done in the disasters now i think we've, we've actually granted out nearly eight thousand dollars in some capacity through these disasters but uh eight million i meant uh so i think that's just a really important thing to people understand it really does stay with us while we we put money out in the community every year and Mika, maybe let's talk a little bit about the disaster um, response. Um, you know, the community foundation really was a quick response to the disasters. And it, from my perspective, was able to move in in some ways faster than the federal government. You know, the FEMA process takes some time. And, and so there were homeowners who lost their homes or people who were renting and lost their homes. And, and can you talk a little bit about, about what the community foundation did in, in that response? Yeah, that that will always be a crazy time. Um, yeah, in 2017, you know, we had heard about kind of disaster response. Obviously, we all learned from Lake County, you know, that it could happen. Um, and we were doing some planning work through an, uh, you know, a community-based effort to be ready. And what we had determined was the Community Foundation would handle the gifts. And mainly because we knew we could steward them over a longer period of time than made the Red Cross. Because... Red Cross comes in, they do really important work, but then they go to the next disaster. And we've all now understand really honestly is that, you know, disaster recovery takes years. People are, you know, there's a moment in time where they need immediate help, but they need a longer term help. And so um, through that effort, we raised money from the local community. We raised money from Bay Area funders. Um, you know, money came from a lot of different places, but our work was to solicit some of those dollars, but also steward those dollars. And we made a long-term recovery committee and we really tried to help families um, rebuild their homes. And I'm still so proud of our community uh, for that effort. And then, you know, we were doing that. And then we had the one 2018, uh, you know, wasn't as big of a response, but then, you know, something happened in Boomville in 2019 and then 20, I mean, it just keeps happening. Um, so the community foundation has kind of solidified. This is something we do for the community is try to, you know, keep dollars local, um, solicit some dollars um, from external sources. And then, you know, same thing, we did the same thing in COVID and um, I'll always be grateful for the savings bank calling me, are you going to have a fund? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have a fund. I don't know if we have money. <laughs> and they came in as an early supporter um, with Sonoma Claim Power. And that's why we had a fund. And in the end, we've raised um, alongside with some of our work with the county, you know, $3 million to support this community over the last two years. Yeah. And, and just with the fires are my, the numbers I remember are that in Lake County, something like, cause they had the fires first, something mm -hmm. like two out of three homes were not insured. And in Mendocino County, at least with the initial fires, I think it was about one in three were not insured. And people who are insured are sometimes underinsured um, because yeah. the cost escalation in, in rebuilding is, especially in the event of a, a major fire where there's a lack of contractors to rebuild. So um, I, I think probably everybody vir or virtually everybody who was impacted needed some help, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was interesting. We did try to, you know, the larger grants went to the folks that had no, you know, had, were really underinsured or not insured. We also did some 
impressive projects where we built homes for people <laughs> because there was no other way they were going to get a home. And we'll always appreciate, um, you know, our, our nonprofit partners who came in and helped actual build homes for people. Um, but, you know, even folks who had insurance, um, you know, we did some things where we just helped people get a power pole so they could put their you know, their mobile home back on their property so that they could actually be in their home. And, you know, and that was an effort that didn't cost a lot of money, but it was a way to make sure everybody knew their community was behind them. And that was one of our just guiding principles is that we wanted everyone to feel cared for and to know their community was behind them. And we've maintained that through, you know, Oak in August and now with Hopkins. You know, unfortunately, those smaller fires did not bring in the same kind of um, outpouring that came from the Bay Area and other places. So we haven't been able to do quite as much for folks as we were able to do in 2017. And I know that one of the focuses of the um, Community Foundation is to um, try to provide some strategic planning and assistance to the nonprofits because um, they rely obviously a lot on volunteers and, and staff who aren't paid all that much. And, and sometimes they have, you know, staff that are aging out and retiring themselves. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about what the community foundation does to kind of help out strategically the, the, the nonprofits to plan for the future. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I do think we're one of the biggest advocates for the nonprofit sector, obviously, because we engage with them so much through all of our grant making. Um, but the other side of that is, is let's say, and this would even be true with Roger and Chuck, if they they care about conservation and edu environmental education, okay, there it is a somewhat robust field here in Mendocino County today of, of grant, um, you know, or nonprofit organizations that are doing this work but neither man is going anywhere anytime soon that's their commitment to me uh no i mean they're both you know in their 70s i think they both have very long lives ahead of them so when i'm talking to them my thoughts are "Ooh, who's going to be doing this 20 years from now right i'm not thinking who's doing it today i'm often really i'm i'm a couple you know decades in advance so if we don't keep our nonprofit sector vibrant and strong and have good leadership transitions, we aren't going to have the Mendocino Land Trust, for instance, or any of the Mendo Parks or, you know, I mean, there's a long list of folks that have come to us for funding. We might not have them 20 years from now. So that's part of why the foundation has really seen that providing technical assistance you know, leadership, education, things like that are really important because it makes us able to make our donors' dreams come true when that time comes. Um, and also just keep this really amazing sector alive and well. And, and we worked super hard to help them all through the pandemic because that was a very, very, very challenging time. Okay. And I just want to remind listeners, you are listening to KZUX, uh, Philo 90.7, KZUX and Z, Willits and Ukiah 91.5, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can also listen to uh, stream this show on uh, kzux.org. Um, and uh, maybe, Beacon, you could talk a little bit about the scholarships, because I think those are pretty popular throughout the county. Yeah, and it is actually something that's very near and dear to my Heart. And maybe that's because I'm raising kids in this county. I don't know. Um, but I, I really enjoy them. I enjoy meeting the next generation, hearing what they're thinking about, where they're going to put their times and talent. 
Um, and so for me, it's a lot about workforce development because this is our, these are our future leaders. These are our future government employees and artists and you know everything we need to have an amazing community here in Mendocino County. Um, so yeah, so there's, you know, there's like 39 scho different scholarship funds. They often, the donors often set those up in memorial. So those do tend to have many of them, not every single one, but many of them have some sort of memorial nature. Um, we had one during the pandemic for a young man who was really talented in the industrial arts, Nash Bart LeMay. Um, and, you know, we got 109 different gifts to that fund. Um, the community really rallied behind that family and let that family know how important they found, you know, their loss and their son and his amazing gifts and really wanted to make sure that we can continue to honor his spirit in this next generation. Right now it's his peers, but someday it won't be. Um, and being able to, um, you know, look for kids that have that passion for industrial arts, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's just an example of sort of how those come into fruition. They, they look a little different than the kind that um, Chuck and Roger did. But so the same thing, we put that money in the market. Um, and then every year we run a, a scholarship process to find that one kid or multiple kids, depending on the scholarship. Um, so some are, they, they range between, a, I mean, I guess the lowest one we still have is a $500 one. And our largest one is 20,000. Um, and that $20,000 one is a four-year scholarship. The student gets 5,000 a year. Um, that one's in particular for math and science, or, yeah, in math and engineering. So it's kind of particular. They all, that's the challenge. They all have their own little quirks because again, they're, they're um, kind of honoring a certain person and a certain interest. Um, but, you know, last year we awarded just under 300,000, 284 thousand to 77 students and um, that's our highest number every year I'm like can get higher and it keeps getting a little higher which is very very exciting and um, and really again same concept we have a, a set of volunteers that come together often the donors are involved in those um, and uh, are their representatives and then there's a community member there's a again a foundation staff member and we interview kids and and that's, you know, kind of how that final student gets chosen after they've done their hard work of filling out an application. So, um, yeah, really great work. And, and I'm, you know, really proud of our students. I just want to make a shout out for our kids because um, we have a, almost, I mean, a good chunk, if, and I don't have the number off the top of my head, of our students are first-generation college students. Like that's really common in Mendocino County. And it makes sense when you look at our demographics, we don't, you know, I think we have, you know, college degrees at about 23%. So that helps you realize that most of the kids are coming out of families that don't have parents with four-year degrees. And here they are, big goals for themselves, wanting to go out there and, and get educated. And um, I'm, normally really impressed by them but now you add a two-year pandemic and online schooling um it's been really hard on that age group and we've tried to do everything we can to kind of keep them going we did a special student assistance fund and i think in the end i think we ended up um awarding about twenty-five thousand dollars this year just helping kids honest to god afford rent and food sometimes it was technology 
or internet or something like that, but they were asking us just to get them through so they could keep going with school and keep going. Um, we also did some more flexibility around grades and number of units because we didn't want them to get derailed. And I, I really, it's why I wanna shout out to them because I think it took an extraordinary level of perseverance to get through college in these circumstances. And um, I wanna inspire the seniors this year. I feel like these guys got hit hard losing their junior year in school and to kind of stay, keep that momentum and keep going and keep you know, dreaming and planning. Um, we're really excited to support them and we're, our process is open and it closes at the end of March. Um, so this is a good month to do your applications. If you happen to be somebody's mom or dad listening, motivate your kids if you can and um, help them apply because we do want to support them. So on that point, uh, Megan, um, if, if that parent or grandparent is listening right now, they would what they would ask that they would go to the community foundation website. Is that where they would find yep. an application That's for the scholarship? Would, yeah. Yeah, it's all it's all pretty much online at this point. Um, there are a few that are at their schools, but generally speaking, they're all online. And it's not the easiest website, I will say. It's www.communityfoundd.org. It's like the front end of foundation. And it came from the early, early days of of websites and, you know, not 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 ideal, but that's what it is. Okay. And then um, uh, some other ways that people can engage with the community foundation, you know, not everybody obviously has money to donate and, but they may have time. So what, what are some other ways that community members could help make change in the community um, through the community foundation? Yeah. I'm glad you asked me that. Cause I was, you know, at least, you know, you've heard me talk there's a lot of volunteers that interface with us. So if people are especially inspired by what we do, we always love to hear from them and we'll find out home for them, you know, if they want to help with a scholarship or they want to be on a grant review committee or they have a specialized skill in the sense that they are a subject matter expert, like we would love to hear from them. So, of course. Um, and then again, um, we have these community advisory committees all over the county, which really focus a lot on community needs. So folks that know their communities really well, we'd love to hear from them. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have our board and that governance level. Um, but more importantly, I want to just put a plug out for engaging with all of our nonprofits because, you know, we're in a position now, especially at this 50 million mark, that we can afford more staff. Um, but in the early days, when I, I've been here, I'll have been there for 15 and a half years, 16 in October. When I first started, there were two and a half FTEs, there were two and a half of us. <laughs> I was the half. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm serious. There was a time when we had almost no staff, right? And we needed volunteers. I mean, our board did so much heavy lifting. They did so much for us because we couldn't have done the work without them. We still employ them a lot. They, they will tell you they work hard for us, but um, you know, at this point we can get a few more hands. But most of the nonprofits in Mendocino County are like we, where we used to be. I mean, they're all volunteers. They might have one employee or maybe a one and a half, maybe two, but it's, it's, that's the norm. And I think there's over 600 of them in Mendocino County and they cover the gamut. And so I really wanna tell people, if you have a passion area, something you care about, 
and you'd like to give your time either to be at a, at a higher level, like a board member, or even just work at the food bank and make baskets or, you know, um, we really need volunteers. And it's been another kind of challenge of the pandemic is that a lot of the folks that were giving were, as I say, uh, our amazing baby boomer population who just are of service. It's part of who they are. Many of them during the pandemic just had to step away and some won't go back to doing all those amazing things they did. So we do have to find new people who are inspired to give their time. And um, if you want us to help you, if you just feel like, I know I want to give, but I don't know where to help. And um, we can, we know the nonprofits, we could definitely make a connection for you. If you just said, Hey, I care about the environment. Or I care about the arts or I care about kids. Um, you know, the workforce, you, you could tell us and we could even help guide you to the right organization. But um, we are hearing that from all the nonprofits. This is their big challenge area is the need for volunteers. I look at the nonprofits on the coast and I wonder if if they've seen that drop in volunteerism because of just health concerns. And, and mm -hmm. you know, there's some nonprofits like maybe say the Mansion Coast Botanical Gardens where people mm -hmm. probably feel pretty safe going outside yeah. and gardening and can still do things like that. So maybe maybe some nonprofits have seen uh, less of a reduction in, in volunteerism than others. Um, yeah. um, so Roger, um, I, I know that you're active in some, in some of those nonprofits, um, bef actually that predates your work with the, the community foundation. Um, what, what are you doing and what are your peers doing, um, you know, in the pandemic and, and hopefully post pandemic? Yeah, the pandemic certainly made it harder to participate. I've done some volunteering at the um, Hopland Field Station over the years, but over this past two years, it's been much less. And uh, actually now I've begun volunteering with the Noya Center for Marine Science here on the coast. And um, they just have amazing amazing group of people. I'm impressed every time I interact with them, either at the crow's nest out on the headlands or at their, at their uh, discovery center in town. And now they have a, they've just purchased a, the Carinis in the, in the Noyal Harbor, which they're going to develop. Um, and I can tell people, at least from my own comfort level, more comfortable interacting with people and being present even indoors at the Discovery Center. Um, what other things? Um, well, if we could talk well, about, the, if, if we could just give a plug for the Noyo Center, I'd, I'd like to plug them as well. Um, yeah, I remember when they first started, it was um, the brainchild of some community members, um, city manager Linda Roofing, and some council members. And I, th at the time, it was just basically an idea. And and at, I know at one point they just had a little office in in the back of City Hall in the old rec center space. Now they've got a very high visibility building um, relocated onto the mill site or a different part of the mill site, the Crow's Nest, and then their their downtown Main Street um, storefront, which has got a phenomenal three D you know, all surround, um, underwater, uh, experience where you can go in, into the, into this little, I don't know, geodesic dome. And you see like, as if you're underwater yourself with, with the plant life off the Venezuelan coast. And, um, and now this, this property down at Noyo Harbor, which will provide, you know, um, scientific research, you know, boat launching from, 
from there. And uh, I think a future, their plans are for a future coffee house, you know, right on the, on the north side of the, of the harbor, which has a nice south facing view up river and everything. So yeah, it just, it's just amazing how that, you know, idea has really blossomed on the Mendocino coast. Well, if I may, I would like to point out as a uh, biologist that it all start, started with a dead whale. In 2009, a, a great blue whale, the largest living animal ever on Earth, um, was hit by a NOAA research vessel just uh, off of the, the um, botanical gardens, and the whale washed up there. And some very dedicated people um, got together to flay that animal, collect the bones, and now those bones are sometimes on display. I think this in March they'll be on display out at the crow's nest or near the crow's nest. And the the whole impetus or a lot of the impetus came from that whale. Okay, we have this whale that's extremely valuable because there are not very many whale skeletons that have been documented and such. Where are where is it going to live? And that is one of the big next objective is to build a a shelter for the whale and articulate it. Um, so that's that's where it kind of really got off the ground and uh, continues with uh, an, one an orca skeleton that is downtown that you mentioned and and other skeletons like uh, sea lions and seals and. Uh, recently, they just got a uh, a uh, sea otter skeleton, and the displays. It's just it's it's marvelous. It's impossible to digest it all in one visit. Whether that's the the crow's nest or the discovery center, so I'm I'm very impressed with them. Very impressed with all the many different different volunteers there, and I guess I'm most impressed with how they've organized themselves to deal with all these um, activities. Um, it's just just quite quite amazing. We have very young people in their 20s. We have, we have an old friend of mine who's uh, uh, over 90. Uh, she doesn't act like it. And, and she's been instrumental. And uh, it's, just, it's just amazing how these people dedicate themselves. So when when community members you know have a passion for something, and in this case it's the Noyo Center, um, how and maybe they don't have stocks or they don't have much mm-hmm. of anything um, that's you know you know materially valuable, but maybe they do own a home. And mm-hmm. um, you know, is there a way for someone to say, okay, when I pass, maybe I don't have any errors. I, I, I can I give my home through the community foundation towards one of these you know things that I care passionately about. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a great example because, for instance, Noya might, but some of some of these organizations, if you said, hey, I'm gifting you a home, they would be like, ah, that's a little too much for us. Right. And I and the foundation felt this way until really recently. I'll be honest. Um, we've now had three homes gifted to us and we've kind of gotten through the process. We know what it takes. Um, but the beauty is, let's say you wanted to create an endowment for the Noya Center for Marine Science. 
and you could work with the foundation. You could gift the home to the foundation, and then it, we would sell it. And then those assets would be put in an endowment. And every year we would send Noyu, uh, you know, a certain amount of money dependent on the value of that house. So, so you're able to make a really long, long-term contribution to an organization, which is through something called a designated fund. Um, or you could do the same thing for any one of those fields of interest. You could even do it through a, for a scholarship. You know, it's really whatever it is that you feel passionate about is that thing that we could then, you know, support through the gift of that home. And I, and I will say in Mendocino County, that's most people's greatest asset, you know, besides their time and, and their talents, as I was speaking to earlier, I think those are all very, very important. But yeah, if you had a home and you didn't have a plan for what happens, I have found that that can be an incredible gift to the person when they've kind of gotten through the process of designing the gift, then they know what happens. They know it will all work out. And that in that home that they worked really hard to, to you know, save for all those years and, and pay down their mortgage on, that it's gonna have this really lasting impact in the county. Well, and every once in a while you'll you'll see a house that's maybe it's in probate. It's like, you know, like maybe there was no real estate planning and there wasn't someone to give it to, and maybe there's a yeah. very distant relative in some other state and it just sits there. So it, it's also a, a nice thought to think that the property would be put back into yeah. the housing market, you know, yeah. more quickly. Yeah, and thank you for pointing that out, Dan, because you know that's one of our biggest limiters right now in this county is is housing. So I, I love that you made that full circle. Um, and, and that is true. We were super excited by the most recent house sale. We're like, oh, you know, this is really wonderful. And it ended up having three contingencies because other people got to make changes in their lives that were really positive. And it was just really fun to see that part, which was to know that we're making a long-term difference in a field of interest, but we also changed people's lives with providing housing they were excited about. So um, thank you. That was a good way to uh, frame that. Dan, I, I, I have a comment uh, regarding volunteers and, and in a way to encourage people to volunteer because you know, I've been involved with Paragon Audubon and Mendocino Coast Audubon and Hopland Field Station, and now with the Noyo Center for Marine Science. And I'm I'm really new to that, and so I've interacted with uh, a few different uh, volunteers, and it's very interesting to me as a biologist that I would be working with uh, one volunteer and she would point out something on skeletons and everything. And then another day I would come in and there's a different volunteer and they would point out yet another, another take on that. And my reason for bringing this up is that you, you don't have to be a specific kind of expert or specific kind of volunteer. We all contribute in a different way. We all contribute from our perspective and it enriches the whole organization to have a variety of people with different personalities and backgrounds and, and motivations. So maybe for the last 10 minutes of the show, let's just look at um, if someone is um, listening to the show and they've, and they're working with a, a group, a nonprofit, and they, and they want to engage with the community foundation, can you remind us kind of what would be the way they would um, uh, approach the community foundation and say, our community, our nonprofit is working on, on this important project or this important uh, service. How would they engage with the community foundation? 
So a great place to start is, you know, go to our website because you can see quite a lot there as far as sort of what we fund, you know, when, when the grant programs are open, because as I said, there's, there's a process throughout the year. And so um, you want to kind of know which one you might fit into, what time, all of that, you know, and then if you just need a person to talk to, I would say you would call Michelle Rich, who's the director of community impact. Um, and she, her, shows up on the website, but you could also just call her at 707-468-9882. That's our phone number. Um, again, 468-9882. And Michelle can help you through anything about the grant making side of our, our work. She also sort of spearheads some of our community leadership work as well. So if you're somebody who's just thinking big, like one of our volunteers slash donors did with her today and said, I think we need to deal with climate change. And we need to start thinking about how we deal with climate change as a county. Um, beyond, you know, I know there's an advisory committee working with the Board of Supervisors, but from this other side of the of the coin with the nonprofit sector and, you know, private dollars and also dollars from outside the county from other um, foundations and businesses and things like that. So that's more of a community leadership issue. So that's, so Michelle's a great resource for that. Um, you know, if, if you're thinking about how to create your legacy um, and you have just questions about the mechanics on that, you know, what types of assets we would take, um, as we talked about, we did discuss houses. So we all know now that that one works. Um, you know, IRAs, which is an individual retirement account, um, those are taxable to heirs, and those are actually some of your best assets to give to charity. And it doesn't have to just be the community foundation, any charity that you are moved to give to. Um, those are really great uh, for giving to charity. So, um, you know, that's another way. And you just make the community foundation or someone else a beneficiary of your account. And then those dollars go there at your death. Um, and so if that was something you were interested in, we could talk about that and most importantly, design what your gift would look like, what you'd want to support down the road. And um, as you heard from Roger earlier, um, as you age, you're required to take resources out of those accounts. You don't get a choice. <laughs> um, and some people are in a position where they're not needing it for food and lights and all that good stuff. And so they choose to direct those to the community foundation or other charities and avoid the, the tax consequence because if they accept them, they have to pay taxes on them. And when they go right to charity, they avoid that. Um, so that's another great gift um, to come towards the community foundation. Um, and then there's gift of appreciated stock and some people have that. Um, and again, those can be really great to, to do um, because uh, you get to give to charity at the amount in which it's sold. And so, um, and a lot of our nonprofits aren't really equipped to do um, gifts of um, appreciated stock. So those are really also good ones to send towards the community foundation. And again, most people do those in their lifetimes um, to make a contribution in their lifetime. So that's another way um, of course, people can just give cash. Um, they can write a check. They can do a credit card. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times uh, that's where our collective giving becomes so powerful. Because like I said, with COVID, if everyone gave what they could and collectively together, we had almost $3 million that we were able to use to feed people and house people. 
Um, that's really mainly what the foundation did for the, you know, the last two years and kept our nonprofits alive. We gave a lot of operating support grants to our nonprofits just to keep them going. And again, that was a collective effort from lots of people who just gave what they could. Um, so I do want to make sure everybody knows that you don't have to have the fancy stuff. You can just give what you have and make a difference in this county and, and really um, make it a wonderful place to live and work and grow and prosper, which is what we're all shooting for. And Megan, just on that, on that, um, you know, if someone had a 401k or IRA and they were required to make the minimum withdrawal and, and maybe they don't need all of the minimum withdrawal to, to live on and they wanted to transfer some of that to, um, a, a, a one of your existing funds or a new fund. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, and, and maybe in their estate planning, um, have it given in, in our part or in entirety, um, to that that type of um, thing that they're passionate about. Um, I'm curious if you're, if you're seeing that some people are, are looking to um, a broader fund like this um, that, um, that has a broader mission, whether it's the environment, um, you know, rather than a specific nonprofit sometimes, because, I mean, certainly we've all seen some nonprofits come and go over time, but mm-hmm. the, but the general genre of, of nonprofits may still exist. There's now mm-hmm. three new ones and but two of yeah. them have gone away, and so yeah. it, it seems to me there's some value in in picking a subject area that someone's passionate about, creating a fund or in, or adding to an existing fund at the community foundation, so that at sometimes nonprofits go away, but but there's maybe two other new ones that are on in that same focus area that that are um, maybe more vibrant at you know 20 years from now than than the ones are in place today. Yeah, I think I think that's really well said. I think in the early days of the foundation, people were much more directive in their giving. You know, I want to support this organization or, you know, a very specific cause to the point that it we had to worry more about what would happen if that organization didn't exist. Um, and the foundation has something called variance power so that we could shift that gift to make sure it stays relevant over forever. Um, but in truth, our community endowment fund, which is that undesignated body of, of money and or some of these fields of interest, really are designed for that because the idea is you're going to meet the need in the moment. And we know the need because those organizations come to us and say, hey, I've got a great project and we're able to fund them. So I think it is really great. I also think they're helpful because, and I hear this because and you asked me who if if you were talking about plan giving I'm your person so hopefully you'd reach out and 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 try to reach me at that same phone number um but I have a lot of people saying to me um you know I just don't know how much will be left I don't know how old I'm gonna live and and somebody I look at my friend Roger who's super active and doing all this great stuff in the community and taking excellent care of himself and I go Roger's gonna be here forever Right. So, you know, it's kind of hard to know how much will be here at the point, you know, you don't know. And so the beauty is, is Roger can make a gift to that fund and he doesn't have to worry about the size of that gift. It's whatever it is. And the fund's already open. The fund will make do what he wants it to do. So I think that's the other side is that everybody's little bit can add and make a much bigger impact. And that's the other reason I think those funds are really great. When you just do your own thing, it has to be a certain amount to really make a difference. And that's kind of feels restrictive to some people because they just don't know. 
I mean, none of us know, right? So um, I think that's the other thing that is so great about the fund that Roger, and I, I tell him all the time, he was so great when he set this up with me because he was like, I just really want to motivate people to give. And the truth is there's a number of planned gifts to that fund. There are a lot of other people that think like Roger, and they're really thrilled that he and Chuck set that up, that they created an endowed fund so that they could make their contribution in their estate plan. And they don't have to go through all the work that Roger went through. <laughs> so that's the other beautiful thing is when you contribute to something already built, you don't have to do all the work. So um, I really hope folks will will be inspired by Roger and what he's done. And honestly, um, you know, go to the website. You can kind of see what we have covered. And of course, if you've got a passion area we have not thought about, you know, let me know because I I want to someday feel like we have something for everybody. Well, thank you, Roger, for being one of the people who helped set up a fund at the Community Foundation. Any any final thoughts? Yes, I have a comment because I, I've run into this. If you have a a uh, IRA or 401k and you contact your financial institution and you say, I want to send, let's say $3,000 to the community foundation. And they'll say, fine, they'll send it. But my understanding is, and actually I've experienced this, uh, community foundation will get a check from Morgan Stanley for $3,000, but it won't say from Roger Foote unless I specifically tell them to do that. In fact, my understanding is that it would be against the law for them to identify from whence that money came. So you want to uh, tell them to identify you and uh, maybe even add that it's for housing or that it's for the environmental education fund because it doesn't happen unless you tell them. Okay. Good tip. Good insider tip. Okay. Well, thank you both um, Roger foot and Megan Alande um, uh, with the Mendocino community foundation. We've learned a lot about the work of the community foundation and how people here in Mendocino County can engage with the community foundation to make this a better place to live. You've been listening to Citizen U. I'm your host on the first Wednesday of the month, Dan Jurdia, County Supervisor. And next Thursday, uh, third Thursday of the month, your host is uh, Mari Roden, a Ukiah Council member. Thank you for joining us here at Citizen U at KZUX, um, Philo, and back to the studio. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.